Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 32 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and uh, thank you so much for spending some time together today. Hope this is going to help you and maybe even your team lead like never before. And if you write in any way, like if you if you want to write a book one day, like, you know, a lot of people I know do, or maybe you've written a book or you write a blog or you write messages or, or frankly, even if you have to write, you know, emails that parents or people who visit your church actually read, which is different. So you can write an email and then you can write a boring email or you can write something that people really love to read. Then I think you're going to love today because I'm so excited to have Mark Batterson as my guest. And Mark is a New York Times bestselling author which is uh, something that not a lot of people have the opportunity to see in their lifetime. And Mark has uh, hit that mark uh, more than once and sold literally millions of copies of his books. If you're a reader, you probably know about Mark. He also happens to be a fantastic pastor. He leads an incredible church. I've been there several times and gotten to know some of his team at National Community Church in the D.C. area, Washington, D.C. They are having a huge impact on that city and been going for almost almost 20 years. So in the process of leading a church, he's written New York Times bestsellers. Isn't that cool? Mark and I were talking about what we wanted to cover in the podcast today. And we ended up having the most fascinating conversation. I get, I'm probably going to have him back because I wanted to talk to him about church planning and everything. And I said, or do you want to talk about writing? And Mark emailed me back and he goes, you know, let's talk about writing because he gets asked about it all the time. And yet he says, I never really have the forum in which to talk about how I write. And so we are going to spend the better part of an hour drilling into Mark's whole writing process, where he gets his ideas from, how does he manage to curate and keep his ideas. Uh, We had such a good time in this interview that when it was over, um, Mark said, hey, can I have this for my website? So we're actually going to make the video of this interview available. Mark will have it on his site. We don't quite have that live on on his site yet, but you can find everything Mark does at markbatterson.com. But I'm actually going to embed the video for this in the show notes. So if you go to kerrynewhoff.com slash episode 32, you can actually um, peek behind the scenes. And please don't look at my half of the screen. I remember the day I was interviewing Mark. I was on my way to a funeral. Like literally, I had a funeral um, in town half an hour, 45 minutes, I had to be there right after the interview. So like I've got this, you know, dress shirt on, collar open. And it, I mean, it was just video. I do these interviews by video because I think it helps provide a better conversation. And then we only ever play back the audio portion. But Mark asked if we could play back the video because he says, man, that was that was a lot of fun to talk about. And he gets that question all the time. And I'm always curious, like what makes a great writer a great writer? So if you go to the show notes, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 32, you will be able to find the show notes there with the video link to the interview as well. So again, and just don't look at the left side of the screen because that's me. But uh, Mark actually talks about his writing process and has a few illustrations in the midst of it. So that, that could just be some extra fun. And as usual, any links mentioned, uh, all, all the resources you need are going to be right there in the show notes. So, hey, thankful that you joined us. This is going to be a lot of fun. So why don't we jump right into the interview with Mark Batterson? Well, it's a super thrill to have Mark Batterson on the podcast today. Mark, welcome. Hey, thanks so much, Gary. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, we've had a chance to get to know each other a little bit over the last couple of years, even had dinner together, and I've been to your church, and I'm such a fan of what God's doing through you and through National Community Church uh, in Washington. And when we were talking about this interview, I thought there's so many different directions we could go. You know, you're a church planter, uh, you're a writer, you're a speaker, and man, I I thought, how are we going to do this? Or we could even talk about the content in your books. And the angle we decided was that we were going to talk about how you write and how you prepare messages and books, which I think is interesting to any of us who write or communicate. Yeah. You know, I think whether it's writing a sermon, uh, writing a letter, uh, or writing a book, you know, writing is this key discipline that uh, I think can feed so many different things. So I think it's fun. I don't, I don't have too many conversations that completely revolve around uh, the process or art of writing. And so this is going to be fun. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be fun too. And when we were discussing it back and forth saying, okay, what angle do we want to take? I thought, I don't think I've heard a lot of episodes on writing, like how, what is the craft of writing? I mean, there's guys like Jeff Goins and so on who, who write about writing, but like from a preacher craft standpoint and, and a, an author uh, standpoint, and you come with good credentials. You've written, is it 12 books now? Uh, yeah. 11? Uh, I mean, there's different editions of like Circle Maker and yeah, that. So I'm, I'm working on number 13 right now. Wow. And, uh, so it's been, uh, it's been a journey. You know, I, I set a, a life goal of writing 25 books. And, uh, but it's crazy. I mean, it's been uh, 12 books in a little less than 10 years. And so um, I, I, uh, I actually need to slow down just a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> and, and in fact, Carrie, my goal is to get into a, a, a one book a year kind of rhythm and actually wow. have a, a more defined writing season, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But, uh, you know, so much of it is rhythm. It's not just, you don't just mm-hmm. need rhythm to dance or, or to play music. You need rhythm uh, to write and to preach. And so I'm sure we can, we can touch on that a little bit. Yeah, that's going to be fascinating. And I mean, I'm working on my third book comes out in a few months and uh, I, or maybe by the time this airs, it's out already, but like, it is hard work for anybody. Like blogging is one thing and you started, well, you've been blogging for a while, not so much anymore, but you know, I'm a blogger and like to pound out a blog post in an hour is like, or, or even a weekend message. Hey, it's a labor of love, but it's hard. But like writing a book, like a book book, is a whole other level if you're going to write well. And and you've done it well, not only a dozen, but New York's New York Times bestselling author. And is it true Circle Maker has sold over a million copies? Yeah, it's at, it's at 1.6. Wow. Um, That's crazy. And, it, and it's climbing. I mean, I some books just kind of hit the fan and I mm-hmm. that one has. And so um, it's been fun to kind of uh, see that that journey. But again, Carrie, for me, when when I sit down at my desk, I take mm-hmm. my shoes off because it's holy ground. And wow. when I start uh, working on that keyboard, I don't type on it. I'm obeying on it. I'm doing what I know God wow. has called me to do. And, and I'm praying with the 26 letters of the English alphabet. And I'm worshiping God when I hit writer's block. And then it becomes the sacrifice of praise. And so writing, like you said, it, it's a labor of love. And, and I'll just put this out there. Like a lot of writers, I, I like writing, but I mm-hmm. love having written, you know, past tense, <laughs> you know, being done with it. And so um, it's hard there. I'm not going to lie. And, uh, you know, I, I know there's going to be a lot of people listening that, that they have a book in them. In fact, I think most mm-hmm. people have a book in them. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, the key is when you set your alarm clock for. Uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like you, you've got to get up early in the morning if you're mm-hmm. to write a book while doing whatever it is you do during the day. Um, when you set that alarm clock is going to be the key. But you can do it. Um, you know, and and uh, you know, I, I think I think Carrie and I. I don't want to rabbit trail too much, but um, we got time. It, it might be interesting for me to just share this one little caveat because please do. I, I felt called to write at 22. Uh, that was one of my first questions. How did you know you were a writer? But, but I didn't write a book until I was 35. So huh. it, it was kind of this sense at 22 in seminary that I really felt like God was calling me to, to be a voice to my generation. And my hunch was that writing books would be a vehicle. Now, here's the crazy thing. That that very same time frame, I took an assessment, uh, a graduate aptitude assessment for different careers, and mm-hmm. my aptitude for writing came in very low. Uh, Isn't that fast? And so it's not such something that I'm naturally gifted at. But I'll tell you what I did over those thirteen years. I read three thousand books. Wow! So you know, and I didn't just read them. What I did was I started to study the style of the writers that, that I love. Why do I love an A.W. Tozer or an Oswald mm. Chambers? Um, why, why do I love a Malcolm Gladwell uh, or even a John Ortberg? Like, why do, yeah. I like, why do I like the way that they write? Um, and so I studied it, but, but I had 
half a dozen unfinished manuscripts by the time I was 35. Um, wow. And, and so this is for the listeners that kind of have that dream that, that it's getting frustrating because it's not happening. Um, here's what I did. I self-imposed the deadline and I just got so frustrated. I said, I'm not turning 35 without having a book to show for it. And so I mm. leveraged my birthday as a deadline and I needed to because I'm a perfectionist. Um, sure. Without a deadline, I'd be working on my first book until the day I die. Yeah. Because I just, that perfectionism was killing me. And, uh, and so um, I ended up self-publishing my first book and, and it was kind of a birthday gift to myself. And so that's an idea maybe for those who are listening that want to write a book, you know, maybe choose a birthday and make it a gift to yourself and, and just decide, Hey, uh, I'm going to go for it and I'm going to try to do this. That's a great idea. So, and, and, uh, you know, this is an audio podcast, but like we're recording this via video. And so I get to see where you are and you're like in your library and your study. And it is just a wall of books, like everywhere. I see, think like a freak that's Freakonomics right yeah. behind you. Yeah. You read really widely. There's one on D-Day over your left shoulder. Uh, there's a genome thing yeah. on the shelf. Uh, uh, like you, you read very, very, and then there's one by Mark Batterson. I, I see there called All In. I don't know you've read him he's pretty good you should read look him. i'll even uh i'll even tilt my computer up and you can see oh my gosh uh, it, it goes all the way to the it ceiling. goes to the ceiling i'm i'm out of office space but uh <laughs> you know here, here is a little bit of a challenge um yeah that that again just sort of knowing your audience carrie um i, I believe that every ology is a branch of theology and so mm. um Here's a good example. In fact, I write about this in the in the grave robber. It's the miracle of the man born blind. Well, yeah. if you don't understand a little bit about neurology, you're not going to fully appreciate that miracle because the fact that he was born blind, it meant that there was no synaptic pathway between the optic nerve and the visual cortex in the brain. And so yeah. this is not an astigmatism. It's not a cataract. This is synaptogenesis. This is a unparalleled miracle where Jesus is literally installing a synaptic pathway in this blind man's brain. And so like, I like reading these different ologies because then it, it adds dimensionality. It helps me appreciate, you know, theology and the word of God. Well, and, and that is very true. I mean, when you read Mark's books, and I'm sure a lot of listeners already have and probably more will, that is one thing that's really interesting to me. I, I, I would say, and I don't know how you characterize your writing, but I think you have a way of making the supernatural accessible to people who might even be a little bit suspicious. But it's not just like this wonky, like floats above reality. It's it's written into like science and medicine. And I can see where that comes from. That was one of my questions because I haven't been in your study. I mean, just one look goes, oh, that's where that comes from. Uh, yeah. Wow. Well, you know, and, and my undergrad started out at the University of Chicago, and and I remember um, taking a class in immunology at the mm -hmm. University of Chicago Hospital Center, and every every class I walked out, and I just felt like it was a it, it was a sermon by a professor who didn't even believe in God about the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It just, it felt like Psalm wow. 139. Like, you know, I'd walk out praising God for hemoglobin. <laughs> I mean, it was just, and, and something happened that I realized that, well, the more you know, the more you know how much you don't know. Mm -hmm. And and the more you study, if you really want to want to understand the creator, well, everything around us is exhibit A. Um, yeah. you know, I, I just don't have this dichotomy between secular and sacred. I think God created it all. Now, scripture is a unique, special revelation. Um, yes. but I think we underappreciate, uh, the sciences, for example, because, um, sometimes we're afraid of those who maybe don't believe in God, who call themselves scientists. But you know what? Even Einstein said that Science without religion is lame, and religion mm. without science is blind. 
And, huh. and so I think you, you kind of need both and, 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 and of course that really then weaves into a lot of my preaching uh, and a lot of my writing. Right. So in, in some ways, then you're a student of life and have been for a long time. So let, let's go back a little bit. So you're 22 years old. Tell us a little bit more. How did you know, okay, God wants me to write, or I want to be a writer, or whatever that looked like in that moment? Yeah, isn't that crazy? I I, uh, I don't know where that idea would have come from. It mm-hmm. wasn't really a writer in my family. Uh, yeah, you weren't scoring well on the aptitude test. No, um, <laughs> It it was just a, a a sense that uh someday I'm gonna I'm gonna write a book. And and that I didn't know I'd write twelve or you know, mm-hmm. however many more I write, but um it was just this sense that the beautiful thing about books is um I mean uh there are probably thousands of people right now reading some book I've written somewhere on an airplane. Um, yeah. they're sitting in the bathroom, not to create a mental image there. Uh, they're, <laughs> That's how it happens. They're in a coffee house. And the beautiful thing is God is, God is putting those books in the right hands at the right time. And far beyond my ability to be in a, in a thousand different places, a book is like this, um, time capsule that you can put into people's hands and you never know when or how or where. Uh, God's going to use that. Last weekend, uh, all the governors um, in the U.S. gathered uh, in Washington, D.C., and every governor's spouse got a copy of one of the books that I've written. Uh, really? The 40 uh, Day Prayer Challenge, Draw the Circle. And, Man. you know, to know that in our state houses, at all of our capitals across America, that the person that holds the highest office, you know, I don't know that all of them are reading it. Um, sure. But but the Lord's using it. And so I, I think there was just kind of a calling and a desire at 22. But then I had to just do the hard work of really reading and uh, preparing myself. And then let me share just two other things I did. Yeah, please do. That one, um, I'm not one of those guys that can write three words on a note card and preach a, a fantastic 30 minute mess. That's not, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not extemporaneous. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember feeling cursed at one point thinking, God, why is this so hard for me? Why do I have to manuscript all of my sermons, every word? Well, um, <laughs> I, I, I was dense enough to not figure it out. God was cultivating this writing ability for 13 years, writing sermons, every single word. And I didn't even know it, Carrie. Isn't that so what I thought was my weakness, my inability to speak off of the cuff uh, Mm -hmm. turned into the very thing that God's used to cultivate this writing ability. Um, And then the other thing I did was I started blogging. And, and that yep. was great because it forced me to be very concise with my language. And, uh, and then I would take my messages. And even though they were already manuscripted, I would then go through and do a, a one-time edit so that mm-hmm. they could be digested in a written form. And then I would e- email them out to uh, uh, what we called an evotional list. Um, and I did that for That's right. So I was trying to remember the name of your blog before it was just markbatterson.com because I was reading it years and years ago, yeah. you know, in the dial-up days or whatever yep. that was. Yep. And what was it? Was it Soul Fuel? Was that what it was called? What was yeah, yeah, it? What did yeah, you call yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I remember that. I was an early reader. So it was a little gimmicky. <laughs> yeah, listen, but, it's uh, great. Hey, that was, that was the uh, mid 2000s. Anything went back then. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So let's 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 get into that a little bit. Now, the remarkable part, if you don't know Mark's full story, maybe a lot of you know him as a writer or whatever, but you didn't, it's not like you're a writer, like I just go sit in the cabin and I write all day. That's what I do for a living. So you've done a dozen books in how many years? Uh, ten? In about 10 years. 10 years, while planting a church that has grown from one campus to seven campuses and is impacting thousands of people across Washington, D.C. and a little bit beyond. And I mean, has a national impact as well while speaking at conferences. And you've, you've just done this all at the same time. So it's not like, you know, you're the full-time writer in a cabin in the woods producing books. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I definitely feel called uh, to pastor mm-hmm. One Church for Life. 
And then yeah. I, and then I feel called to write and Carrie, I think those two things really fuel each other because yes. if you're preaching, you're creating content. Um, and it gives you kind of the raw material uh, from which you can, you can write books. Um, but, uh, you know, it is interesting just in a, in a more kind of self-reflective way. It was a couple of years ago that I really realized that I think I went from pastor author to probably author pastor, um, yeah. just in terms of, of what I know, uh, my greatest influence is, and probably the greatest platform, you know, at this point is definitely the, the writing and the books, mm-hmm. but I don't think that I would be able to write as effectively if I took my pastoring hat off. I, I think yeah. there's something about being in the game and in, in, in people's lives that, uh, those two things have just been two streams that kind of flow together. The other thing I'd say just is more of a confession. You know, I, I tried to do too much there for a while and the Lord was mm-hmm. gracious. Um, about, a, about a year ago, started feeling a little bit of the physiological effects of stress. And mm-hmm. uh, so as you and I discussed offline, yeah. um, you know, I'm doing a little sabbatical this summer just to take a few months and actually just not write and wow. and not preach and just and not lead and, not and lead. just disconnect yep. and just seek the Lord, be in his word, uh, rabbit trail where I want a rabbit trail. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I tend to be a driven personality and, and the Lord's really been patient in teaching me, um, of course, how to seek him first and, and how to keep the margin in my life because the books come from margin. The vision comes yes, from margin. Um, the best sermons come from margin. And, uh, and so I think managing those things is a great challenge. And, and for the record, I have put some boundaries in place. Like I only do 12 mm-hmm. overnight speaking trips. I remember when you were making that decision and we had that conversation that was a couple of years ago and you had, how many had you had the year before? Uh, I don't remember. It was a lot, 30. like 30. Yeah. 30. And, and it was starting to take a toll. And so, uh, again, I just felt like probably my greatest leverage point or, uh, there's this idea of a high leverage point in, in kind of mm-hmm. the law of leverage. And for me, that's, that's writing. Um, yeah. and so I had to make sure that I didn't compromise that. And so, um, the other thing we've done Carrie, is we have a phenomenal teaching team. And so, yes, you, you know, I'll preach anywhere between 26 and, and, and 32 messages, uh, a year at this mm-hmm. point. So, I think that's been healthy for the church. I know it's been healthy for me. And that's also then allowed me to, uh, to exercise that writing gift as well. That's good to know. But it didn't start out that way. So let's spend a couple more minutes, right? So between 22 and 35, you had six completed manuscripts that had been unpublished. Six half completed. Half completed. Okay, there you go. I understand a half completed manuscript. I really do. I get that. Okay, yeah. so half completed manuscript, but basically you practiced before you launched. Yeah, I, I, right. Which is a really good discipline because I think you're right. You said something earlier too. Like you think everybody has a book in them. I talk to tons of people who are like, I'm going to write a book one day. I'm going to write a book one day, and I'm like, Well, what have you written? Yeah. And they're like, Nothing. Right. I'm like, Do you blog? No. Have you got a journal? Have you got it stored somewhere? No. I just think I'm going to write a book one day. Well, books don't write themselves, do they? Nope. And uh, <laughs> and that's where I would uh, I would really push right here on Second Corinthians ten five. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Um, mm-hmm. The way that I do that is by journaling every day. I, I don't yeah. know any other way to take thoughts captive because I'm incredibly forgetful. And so the, the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. And so you got to write it down, you know, Habakkuk, uh, write, write down the vision. And so um, just a word of exhortation. I, I think when you think about a book as like a 40, 50, 70,000 word book, like that can be overwhelming. But Carrie, I know that most people are capable of writing a thousand words today. Oh yeah, and, absolutely. And, and no, I'm not saying that those wouldn't need to be edited, uh, mm-hmm. that you wouldn't need to, you know, work on that. But if you write a thousand words for 40 days, well, you've got a 40,000 word book on your hands. So you got to break it down and try not to be too overwhelmed by the, uh, 
the overarching um, uh, project and just and just cultivate that discipline of writing um, day in and day out. Now, what's helped me is is actually marking out a writing season. So from my birthday, okay. November 5th uh, until Super Bowl Sunday, um, hmm. that's kind of my writing season. Usually it takes me oh, about really? three months. Um, to write a book. Uh, yeah, three, four months. And um, I, I call it the, the writing forest as well. It's like I wander into the writing forest. And I'll be honest, like I, I get lost in there sometimes. Um, <laughs> Sometimes it's like, how am I ever going to find my way out? But my, my assistant helps me and mm-hmm. I don't take meetings during that writing season. And, and oh, really? So no meetings? No. And, and she'll say, you know, hey, he's happy to, to meet after that writing season's over. But y- you got to make certain sacrifices in order to really accomplish that goal. But it helps if you, if you establish a timeline and a schedule. Yeah. So your writing season is November until February. And that means like no meetings, even at the church, you're just not in staff meeting. You're not, or it's just like outside meetings. You're not doing no outside meetings. I I would still be at our Tuesday staff meeting and creative team meeting. And I would still be preaching some. Um, so it's not like I totally take off the preaching hat. Um, but what that allows me to do then is to have more concentrated time uh, yes. to write. And, and I do, you know, to me, either that timeline over the holidays or, um, or summer, you know, maybe from a Memorial day to labor day, you know, those are the two seasons where meetings don't happen as much anyways. Yeah, that's probably true. So, um, you know, again, uh, if you don't schedule it, it's not going to happen. If you don't schedule a mm-hmm. meeting, well, a meeting's not going to happen. If you don't schedule a book, that book's not yeah. going to happen. So, you know, I think that's key. It, it's a really good point. You got to find the cracks because people are always asking people like you. And I get the question sometimes, like, how do you do everything? You also said the alarm clock. Like, yeah. I never used to be a morning person, but now four or 5 a.m., often without an alarm. And that's when I write my blog. That's when I get my ideas. And sometimes I'll do my message prep in that window. Did you find early mornings were key for you? Yeah, not 90% of my creativity happens before 10 a.m. Yes, I agree. I, now, now here's the one little trick I've learned that uh, I've often said that if I was running for office, my platform would be a nationally mandated nap time. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just think a 10-minute, 12-minute power nap and my brain resets. And it, it does, almost gives it? me like two days. So then I kind of have two writing days in one day. And so, again, it's just... I think it's figuring out, you know, your circadian rhythm and how your body functions and how your mind functions and uh, and what can help you kind of get into that writing flow. Okay, well, that's great motivation and great practical advice. So anybody who's like, I don't have the time to write. If Mark has the time to write when he's launching a church and you've got six semi-finished manuscripts by your 35th birthday unpublished, and then you had to go out, this is, and I'm going to take this a little bit sequentially. So you had to self-publish. Was that In the Pit of a Lion on a Snowy Day? Which is a great title. Well, was it that book that you self-published or was it another one? It's, it's actually the one right before ID, The True You. And, okay, yeah. And, and here's what's funny. I've actually tried to take that book out of circulation, but I discovered once it's on Amazon, it's, it's eternal. (laughs) So you're not, it's not your proudest moment, is it? It's not. I mean, I, I, I didn't even barely proofread it, but again, that was the, that was me saying, I I don't care. I'm just going to prove to myself that I can write a book uh, by 35. And so, you know, in that sense, I don't make any apologies for, and the Lord has used it in in a fun Mm -hmm. way. I'll tell you that it, it, uh, it sold 3,641 copies. Um, you know, it, it's, but, but listen, it's not about how many books you sell. And again, uh, to me, a book sold is not a book sold. It's a prayer answered. And so, yes. you know, to me, it's up to God how many times he wants to answer that prayer. And I've had books mm-hmm. that have been disappointments. Um, that you thought were going to do great. Oh, yeah. You poured your heart and soul into them yes. and you're like, bestseller list, here we come. And yep. nothing. Yeah. I think I think Primal is some of my best writing. I, I, I think yeah. it's one of my better books, and it's probably the least selling. I think I chose the wrong title. 
Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that's okay. I mean, yeah, it, it is. And and I think any content producer, whether it's sermon series that you're like so invested in, you put in double the effort, and you're like, this one's going to blow up, and then nothing. Yep. And then and then you're barely getting one to print. I find that with blog posts. I find that with messages. I find it sometimes, honestly, with podcast episodes. I'm like so excited. And then, you know, the one episode I was excited about doesn't do as well. Another one I wasn't sure about does incredibly well. Yep. And that is, I think, every writer, every content creator's experience that. And your ability to predict doesn't get any better with the passage of time, does it? No, no. <laughs> and, it, and, and I think what it does, Carrie, is it keeps us humble, right? Yeah, it keeps us humble yeah. that at the end of the day, um, when I hit save on a manuscript and then hit send, mm-hmm. it's out of my hands now. It's in it's yeah. in God's hands, and I've learned to love and appreciate the way that um, His sovereignty really superintends over how those books get get into hands, and just uh, you know that's when it gets fun because so many divine appointments. Uh, waiting in the pages of the book for the people that read them. Yeah, you're right. And I think that is the payback. I mean, obviously, you know, it takes some money to publish and then sometimes you make money, sometimes you don't on on publications. But um, I think that is the payback. You know, when you actually hear the life change stories, when you actually think that God use this really in, yeah. in a powerful way. That's cool. So in the pit of a lion, let's talk about being published. Yep. Uh, was that, was that self-published first and then picked up by a publisher? Or how did you go from like, I did this myself and barely proofread it and 3,600 copies. I mean, that's great. That's more than a lot of people have sold <laughs> and more than most books sold, but that's not going to walk you into random house with a big deal. No, it's right? not. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what I did because these steps yeah. could really be helpful you know, somebody who's listening, who's saying, Hey, I want to, I want to walk this path. Um, when, when I self-published that book, but I really wanted to get one published. Um, I, I set up a lunch meeting with a published author, um, someone that pastored cool. a church in our area. And I thought, Hey, this guy's done it. Why don't I just go and, and meet with him? And so, um, we had lunch together and, uh, and then a couple of weeks later, he met a book agent and, and, for whatever reason, he said to this book agent, hey, I have a, I have a friend who pastors a church in D.C. I, I think the two of you ought to talk. Well, we talked. And, and the next thing you know, he was pitching this manuscript that I had been working on for In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And uh, now here's what's funny, Gary. He, uh, he pitched it um, and ended up getting picked up by Multnomah. Uh, right. Now, uh, they accepted or they gave me a contract uh, to write four books. And, and for what it's worth in retrospect, I, I would only do two books at a time. I, right. I, I don't think you want to uh, commit to too many. Into, yeah, I, 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 mm-hmm. but that's a whole nother podcast. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, when they accepted the, or gave me the contract, they said, we love the idea, um, but we want you to rewrite the book. And it was a little demoralizing, but you've got to have thick skin as a writer. You, if if your goal is the best written book possible, then you've got to be willing to edit it as many times as it takes. And so, um, now here's the cool thing. The the reason why they push back is that the first version of the book was very reactive, almost like Benaiah being in the pit with the line coming in. But right. as we studied some of the, the different translations and, and the Hebrew language, it suggested a far more, more proactive that he, in fact, as one translation says, chased a lion into a pit mm-hmm. on a snowy day and killed it. Now, I'm convinced if I had, if I had published the first book, Carrie, it probably would have sold about 3,000 copies. Um, right. uh, the more proactive chasing the lion is just a theme that resonated. And, and that book is probably getting close to half a million copies. Um, you know, even, even nine years later, it just keeps selling and, uh, probably need to do a revision on it, but, um, <laughs> but that was the journey. And then that began right. a four book. So I wrote wild goose chase primal and then soul print. And all of those books were with Multnomah. Right. And, and I think that's a really good point. You need a thick skin as 
a publisher because a lot of people get rejected, right? You just, you get rejected. I mean, very famous people, Charles Dickens was rejected. I mean, in the music industry, U2 was rejected in 1976 by RSO Records. And it's kind of like, really? And you never know because when you're starting out, nobody knew when you were 35 years old, you're going to sell one and a half million, 1.6 million copies of a book yeah. within a decade. Like, and you didn't know, you didn't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I didn't. Um, by, by the way, I was just at a writer's conference that my my current agent um, does every year called Rewrite. And okay. it's a phenomenal conference. And I don't know who said it, and, and I don't know that I can verify it, but someone said that C.S. Lewis was rejected maybe 800 times before he, he got a book publishing deal. Now, that, that number sounds a little maybe exaggerated yeah. to me. Yeah. But I don't care if it's one rejection. I mean, can you imagine if C.S. Lewis had just said, well, then forget it. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to bother. That's right. So you have to be tenacious. And it might not be, you know, that they're not sure about you. And, and right now, the other thing is from 10 years ago, the publishing industry has changed massively. Yeah. And, and again, that's another podcast. So you've got, you've been writing. How do you curate your, first of all, where do your ideas come from? I think we've hinted at that. Yeah. But there might be more to say on that. And then how do you curate them or store them? Because your writing is extremely rich in detail and story. I mean, incidents from your own life, research, clearly, you know, you've got to read thousands of books. But like, like you say, we forget more than we remember. Yeah. So how, how do you record all that? And how do you keep it? And then how do you actually have it in a system that you can use it when you wander into the woods to write? Yep. How, do you, how do you find the right stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, Great question. Uh, so number one, uh, writers are readers, readers are writers. Um, I, my books, I, I only read, um, hardbound. I've, I've just not gone the digital route. Um, sure. and I never read if I don't have a pen, what's the point? Uh, right. because I want to be able to underline and I leave pages over and I know I have a filter now, Carrie, I know, okay, this is sermon worthy. This is book worthy. I have an eye. Um, in fact, um, you know, I, I uh, book of legends right, right here on my shelf. Okay. You know, page yeah. two Oh two. I read this story about Honey, the circle maker. I, I had a hunch. I had a hunch <sighs> that this was a, a true story and that it was powerful enough to really help people and motivate people in the way that they pray. So read, read like crazy. Wow. Um, and and that was your first, was that your first New York Times bestseller? It was. The Circle it Maker? Was. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so that's page 202 yep. of a really thick, like academic book. It is. Yep. Wow. So now the second thing is, you know, and this is great for, for preachers, but, you know, uh, we laughingly call our kids, you know, our three little illustrations, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, everything's an illustration when you're a preacher. Uh -huh. um, I mean, they're everywhere. They're every single day. Um, there's a great book written 10 years ago, 12 years ago by uh, uh, someone, uh, I think Warren Bennis, called uh, Geeks and Geezers. And, okay. and I remember one little line from the book, um, and it talked about how leaders are first class noticers. Hmm. Like, That's a great phrase. It, yeah. It's just the ability to notice things. And to find illustrations everywhere. I mean, yeah. I, I, I hardly go a day without, you know, seeing something that, hey, that, that's an illustration. Um, and so then what I do carry in order to capture it, mm -hmm. I work out a word. Um, you know, that's where I yeah. write. That's where I prep sermons. And uh, there's this beautiful magnifying glass on my Mac computer that has a search right. function. Well, I have 19 years of sermons that I can mm. search right there. And, and now sometimes it takes a couple of keywords. And, right. and sometimes it's tough for me to track down. But mm -hmm. um, what I've done is um, I, I basically, uh, in fact, many of my, so about 10 years of my sermons are in one document. So wow. I can just search it. It's a master document. It is. It is. And uh, so I, I think it's then about um, uh, searching and knowing where to look. And uh, and then I've just trained myself. Like, 
Oh, the other thing I should mention, and part of this is a testament to my kids, like they love like TED Talks and Radio Lab. Mm-hmm. Those are some rich resources. Um, yes, they are for preaching and and for writing. And so, um, yeah, so that's a little sampling. Okay, so let's say let's say, and obviously, if something actually makes it all the way into a sermon. That's easy enough to search, and whether you use Evernote or Microsoft Word, and I love the fact that it's not like this super complicated system that costs thousands of dollars. It's something yep. we all have, yep. right? But let's say you're reading when when you read Honey the Circle Maker, or you read about the Genome Project, but you're not actually going to use it on Sunday or an upcoming series. How do you store those ideas, and then how do you find them, or or does it all make its way into a sermon before it finds its way into a book? It it doesn't. Um, so when I'm when I'm going to write a a, a, a book. In fact, let me use the one that I'm in the editing stage right now. Uh, sure. the, the title, it might be my favorite title, and it might be my favorite book cover yet. It comes out in October. Um, it's called If. I, I love oh. that little word. Uh, <laughs> if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31. So the, the wow. book is uh, from Romans 8.1. You know, there's therefore now no condemnation to... Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. The, mm. All things work together to, for good. To You are more than conquerors. It's a book on Romans 8. Well, what I did then is I, I went through my library of thousands of books, and I'm sure I missed a few, Carrie, but yeah. I pulled out the books that, that I remembered having content that I was pretty sure would, uh, would feed into uh, that book. And then I make a special pile, <laughs> a special pile. And, uh, yeah. and then I, I will research those books. I'll go back through them. You know, I'll look at what I leafed over. Um, and, uh, that, that really is kind of my, that's awesome. So it's very organic yeah. and very informal. And then if you ever have ideas and let's say, okay, this is not the next book or the book after or whatever, any other way to just store something forever, just in case journal. Um, uh-huh. so I was just on a plane, uh, from Oklahoma city to, to DC. And, uh, I have a pretty good handle now on what I think the next 10 books will be. Right. Now, now that's a good discipline because people, I don't want people to miss that. Like when you get in the habit of writing, it feels more writing. Yes. When you get in the habit of blogging, it feels more blogging. Yep. When you get in the habit of communicating, it feels more communication. Yep. So you're right. I have my, this is, we're recording this in early 2015. It'll be broadcast in the middle part, but like I've already got my series scripted yes. out until 2016 midpoint. And then I have a few more ideas beyond that. Yep. Cause if you do it long enough, you're never going from Sunday to Sunday yep. Yep. and you're never out of ideas. That's so good. We do the same thing. Uh, mm. you know, we, we plan out a year of sermons now of series, but you know, a few of them carry won't make the cut, you know, nine months oh, yeah. from now we'll pull the plug on it and do something else. But right. what it does allow me to do then is I can read strategically, I can study yes. strategically, and it kind of gives me a, a direction and it gives our media, you know, a chance to uh, to get a little bit more creative when they have some more lead time. So what's true of writing, I think, is true of preaching as well. And is there a lot of symmetry or, or synergy, you've, you've hinted at it already, between writing and preaching, or are they just very fundamentally different oh, tasks? They, they dovetail. Um, mm. now about half of my books were a series before they became a book. Right. And then about the other half are, um, books. And then when the book comes out, I'll preach a series. But by the way, on that, yeah. on that subject matter, you know, whenever, whenever we write a book, um, whenever a book comes out, Laura and I personally gift a copy of the book to everybody in our church. And that's oh, a, it's that. a, it's a pretty penny at this point. Uh, yeah, but we because it's a big church. I yeah. mean, that's like that's not a hundred people. That's thousands, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, but it's a way that that we can give back to our church as a as a thank you almost for hmm. like we love that we can pastor and write and uh, and and I actually learned this with the first book with in a pit with a line on a snowy day that um, before we made a penny on it. Uh, I gave away hundreds of copies uh, to church planners. I just felt like 
hey, let's, I just am a big believer in giving uh, yes. <laughs> in general. And uh, if, if you have a good book and it's a word of mouth book, um, listen, give away as many as you can because it's yeah. going to multiply. You know, that's a really good word too. And I've only got like two published books, third one coming out, but I love to give away copies too. And I love what you said that that goes back to the very beginning. And maybe you couldn't afford to give, you know, 2000 copies away back when you're just getting out of your self-published days. But I think it's that spirit, right? And it also, it's a great way of getting out of the funk of like, hey, church, buy my book, oh, right? Which I just hate. I, I hate yeah. that. I'm like, I'd rather not tell anyone in my church I'm publishing a book because I don't want them to feel the awkward pressure of feeling, well, I should yep. probably buy Carrie's book, yep. right? I, yeah. I hate that. Well, and you know what's kind of fun, along with giving a copy of every book to, to everybody in the church, we actually give a copy of, uh, of one of my books. I think right now we're using the Circle Maker but every guest, we give them a copy of the book because I, I feel like right. it's a way, one, of giving a gift, but two, yeah. it, it gives them a chance to really sample kind of who I am, who we are, kind of what we're about. And, uh, and so, I mean, that's, that again is probably another podcast for another day. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, given it'll be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Listen, Luke, Luke 38 doesn't just apply to money. Uh, it applies yes. to everything. So I, I want to give a good measure um, so that God can really uh, measure it and use it. That's cool. And that's a good attitude too. Another another misconception, again, more podcasts, but like people think, well, I'll publish a book and then I'll get rich, but it doesn't really work that way, does it? it? I mean, you got to sell a lot of books before you actually see a sub- significant return. You really do. And, uh-huh. uh, I don't know too many people that can just make a living at it. You know, yeah. most people have to have a salary coming from some other place. And, uh, and, and Carrie, you and I both know if it's about the money, um, stay out of the game. No, yeah, I uh, don't, don't, don't. You know, I always feel like, and and this is going to be very pointed, but I think this is very, very important. Um, if you're called to write, then write. Don't worry about a publisher. Don't worry about right. an agent. Write. In fact, if you're called to write and you're not writing, then you're in disobedience. So mm-hmm. let's just call it like we see it. Let's write for an audience of one. And then if God blesses you with a publisher, God blesses you with an agent, or God blesses you with a book that sells a lot of copies, then then it's a double blessing. But to me, the key thing is just being obedient uh, to that calling. Hmm. I want to ask you about blogging and writing, because in the early days, when you were in your early days of publication, you were, I don't know that you blogged daily, but like it was pretty regular. It was what, three to four or five times a week? Oh yeah, at least. Yeah. And then... And then, I mean, I remember reading your blog. I was one of your early readers and all that stuff. And I still remember when you released In the Pit of the Lion on a Snowy Day. Uh, I remember that. And you announced it on your blog and the whole deal. And I've still probably got one of those original copies. But, uh, and that was before we had met. Now you don't blog as much anymore. No. Did, you, did you find blogging to complement writing or did it ever compete with writing? Because I know a lot more listeners are bloggers than they are authors, like published authors. And that's one of the tensions. Like I know for me, I think if I blogged less, I would write more, but I just feel this compulsion toward blogging. And so it's always a tension. Any word on that? Yeah. Well, I was pretty prolific back in the day. Um, Yeah. And I, and I think that fed my writing, it cultivated the writing skill and it certainly fed into some of my books, but at some point it, it felt like more of a obligation or it felt like mm-hmm. I just, I can't be producing this many words for books and be blogging at the same time. Yeah. And, and so I decided to go back to a written journal that was just for me. Mm-hmm. And so it was tough. I mean, I think at its peak, uh, my blog was getting... I think one year got 15 million hits. Um, oh I mean, goodness. it was wow. crazy. Um, That's great traffic. Uh, and if you'd kept going, it would be much bigger it, today. It would be, but but yeah. it was one of those things where I felt like I, I can't just be doing it to do it. I can't do it for numbers. Um, and so what I've done is I've just said, hey, I kind of like Twitter. It's 140 characters. I can tweet a couple of times and a, a thought here and there. I think that's about the best I can do at this point. And so I just made the tough decision 
to, to not blog. Now I'm, I'm not sure my publishers like that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. but you know, here's the challenge. The reality is publishers are looking for people with a platform uh, as much or more than they're looking for writers. Now I wish that wasn't true. Um, yeah. But if you're a writer, then I want to exhort you to write. And if your writing is that good, it will see the light of day. So don't, you know, listen, be, be smart. Like, you know, if you can build a, a platform and keep your integrity and, and mm-hmm. uh, do it for the right reasons, you know, that's fine. I, I just didn't want the tail wagging the dog. Yeah. Well, and you were also at the point in your publishing career, I imagine, where you had that choice, where where you could have done both and all that. And I totally get that. Like publishing has changed and anybody who's trying to get into publishing knows you need to have a platform now. But eventually, I think, and I might be at that inflection point where you've got to choose between quality and quantity. Yeah. Where you've just got to decide, I can pump out three posts a week and not publish as many books. And I find book thinking is very different than blog thinking. You know, to come up with 10 things or five things or a bullet list or a simple simple thought is very different than what I call long-form thinking, which is what I think our culture needs and what great books are. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The, the one interesting thing is within that long-form writing, I mm-hmm. do think that you need a lot of tweetable thoughts like I work yes. really hard on punchlines that that I know um, will kind of hit people truisms. You know, A.W. Tozer, Oswald Chambers, Leonard Ravenhill, some of these older writers, they would have been amazing on Twitter. Um, yes. You know, they, I, I still want to. In fact, one, one little trick of the trade, Carrie, is I've also gone to more chapters and shorter chapters. It's kind of mm-hmm. a, it's kind of a Jedi mind trick. Uh, to help <laughs> readers feel like they're accomplishing the book. You know, I used to write, you know, 6,000 word chapters, and now I'm trying to write more, you know, a couple thousand word chapters, but more chapters. Right. Yeah. And that's an easier way to digest your book, like Grave Robber, your latest book. Very digestible, very easy. And what, I mean, I'm reading it on, on iBooks, but it might be what, 10, 10 words per chapter or t- 10 pages per chapter. Rather. Yeah, something. It's more than 10 yeah, words. Yeah. I, I bet. You yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. No, it's it. I've really tried to go that route of just, you know, a punchier right. chapters. Okay. What's the hardest part of writing for you, Mark? The hardest part? The uh, it's a very, very heavy lift. Sometimes um, not not depression isn't the right word. Maybe overwhelming, just kind of the mm. the overload of at the beginning, well, it'd be like the beginning of, of a marathon where you're like, oh man, this is going to be a long run. And those first few miles, like you got to get your rhythm and, and, mm. uh, okay, I can do it. And then hit the halfway point. Well, I'm halfway there. So to me, it's the first part of writing, uh, that's the greatest challenge. Um, th- this is kind of an answer to that question, but I would also say this, I spend the the vast majority of my time on the first few chapters. And I also spend the vast majority of my time on the opening section. I want some metaphor, some story, some study that will hook people and really make them want to read that entire chapter. And, you know, part of it is that I'm a right brain thinker and writer, you know, more than a left brain, but, uh, but I, I do think that metaphors, you know, finding the right metaphor for a book, uh, for a chapter is, is pretty critical. Right. So it's, it's sort of those big ideas. Now, do you do a full outline or do you just start writing or what does the process look like? Like you get all the chapters sort of bullet pointed before you actually start to write the body of content or, or what's the process? Believe it or not, I don't. Yeah, I don't either. I hmm seems kind of crazy, but like for if, you know, I knew there were 37 verses in Romans eight. Um, but I also knew I wanted a 30 chapter book. I wanted to be kind of a one chapter a day for a month. And, Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I knew I'd write 30 chapters. I just didn't know how it, how it would break down. Uh, right. And, uh, for the circle maker, you know, ended up with three sections, dream big, uh, pray hard, think long. Um, again, you just, you kind of subdivide, um, so that the four sections of if are, uh, if only, 
where I talk about regret uh, as if, which is um, just kind of this this wonderful uh, idea of faith. It's you know believing as if, and then uh, my favorite part of the book is the what if. Those are the possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Kind of this idea mm-hmm. that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So, you know, I took kind of four phrases uh, playing with that word if. And and so, I, I don't know. I've, I And did you have those four phrases? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But did you have those four phrases at the beginning or you discovered them as you went through the writing thinking process? Totally discovered them. Okay. In fact, a few days before... Uh, the uh, manuscript was due, I realized I really have four sections here. Originally, it was just going to be if only and what if. Hmm. And then I added in the other two, and then I went back through and kind of crafted language that would tie it all together, kind of pull the thread, if you will. That can be very hard because you're so in the forest at that point, you know, that all you see is trees. And I've gotten there sometime where you're writing, 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 and then you're like, I I know what I'm saying is good, but I can't see the big picture anymore. How do you find the big picture? Well, then you you hit save and <laughs> you send it to an editor or send it to a friend. And you right. need at least a week or two of not yeah. thinking about it at all. Go do something different. And then you have fresh eyes um, when it comes back. So yeah. y- you need a little bit of a time gap there. And and so you say three months in your writing season, but from gestation to birth, in a, and let's call birth not release date, but like it's out of your hands, can't edit it anymore, the publisher has it, you're done, all your final edits. What is that typically for you? Is that three months, six months, a year, two years? Well, well it's not two. Let, I'll try to keep this short, but there's always yeah. a moment of conception, right? Uh, yeah. With every book. And so um, when I was 19, I heard a sermon about that little passage about Beniah, who chases the lion into the pit on the snowy day and kills it. Well, 16 years of gestation for that one. For the circle maker, when I read that little story on page 202, then I used it in a sermon a few months later. Hmm. Well, and then I started writing, but it was probably two years. So, you know, there, there are different gestation periods, but when that writing season starts, Then I'm into the heavy-duty writing, uh, kind of the heavy lifting, and my goal is to have a manuscript done at the end that I feel 80% good about. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason why I say 80% is because I just need, I needed to let go of my perfectionism. And so then I send it to the editor when I feel like it's 80%, and then we go back and forth a few times. Now, you know, I get edited much less now than I did with the yes. first few books. And and I appreciate the fact that I have editors that respect my voice and respect grammar that maybe my English teacher wouldn't. Um, but, you know, I'm able to kind of write and uh, it might be another month or two of editing, but then you got yourself a, a uh, line edited book. Wow. And that's what, six months? Start to finish? Yeah, not more than that. For me. That's great. For me. That's great. Well, again, and I I don't know that there's anything to be said. One of my secrets is like, I wonder what a two-hour podcast would be like. Because I feel like we're at the point, we're almost at the hour mark. And like, I always want to make these, like just sitting over a coffee, and you have such amazing coffee shops, including your own in Washington, where where I could just go longer. But that's probably another episode, like you said, for another day. But this is great. This just feels like, oh, I wish there was more. At least I do for me. But let me let me wind down to honor your time and our time together today. So, uh, what advice do you have for people who have started, who who want to write but like just haven't started? Yeah. And we kind of covered that, but say it in a phrase or two, just yep. like you know, hit them between the eyes, yeah. Mark. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, a dream without a deadline is dead. Uh, so hmm. the first thing I would say is you got to find a reasonable deadline, and then reverse engineer how you're going to get to that goal, and that's going to be a daily discipline of writing, but. But beyond that, Carrie, what I would say is, um, you know, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that every life is comprised of a few themes. Hmm. You've got to figure out what your theme is. Like, what, what's yeah. the, the drum that you could just beat over and over again? Or what's the sermon you could preach every week 
Um, yeah. what, what is the thing that just gets you fired up? Um, because it's going to need to be something you're so motivated. You have so much conviction that that's going to then fuel your writing. Kind of what's your life theme, your life message. Mm. Um, I would recommend starting with that, uh, yes. you know, and, and, uh, um, right on that subject matter. Um, and I think that's going to help you along with those deadlines to hopefully get it done. That's really good advice. How about for the fledgling writer, maybe somebody who's self-published or they're blogging a little bit and it just hasn't got the traction, you know, 3000 copies would be amazing for a self-published book, but let's say they're at 300 copies or they've done a couple now, or they've gotten 18 rejection letters. Um, but they think there's something there. They're not dead yet. They're not discouraged yet. Yep. What would you say to the person who's in that yeah. place? Well, I think so much of life comes back to are you doing it for intrinsic or extrinsic reasons? Um, mm. By extrinsic, I would mean, you know, are, are you writing for fame or fortune? Well, good, yeah. good luck with that. Um, yeah. You know, that, that's not going to fly. But, but if it really is an intrinsic thing, if you're really called to write, then somehow you've got to enjoy that process and, and write content that at the end of the day is an act of worship to God. And, and now you hope that it gets published and you hope it sells a lot of copies. But here's what I believe, Terry, and I, I don't care whether we're talking about pastoring or writing. I believe in long obedience in the same direction. I, oh, I think yeah. it was Eugene Peterson. It was Eugene Peterson. Phrase. It's one of his um, books. And, and I just, listen, do the right thing day in and day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. And one day, one day God's going to show up. He's going to show off. Um, listen, our church, you know, five years to grow from 19 people to 250 people. It was hard. Wow. Um, and yeah. there were moments where I thought this church could go away and only two dozen people would know the difference and they could all find a better church to plug into. <laughs> but, but here's the deal, Carrie. We would have been compromising what the Lord wanted to do 10 and 15 years later. We would have yeah. been compromising thousands and thousands of people that we're now able to influence. So, don't, don't give up on it. Not if God's called you and, uh, you keep writing, keep leading, keep preaching. And, uh, if you keep doing that, then leave the outcome to God. That's his job. I love that. This is so cool. 19 years for you in DC at NCC National Community Church. And that is a great way to look at it. Mark, I can't thank you enough for this. Oh, by the way, um, where can people find you? Yeah. Uh, markbatterson.com. Is kind of a, a landing site for me. And then uh, on Twitter uh, and on Instagram, it's the same Mark Batterson, just my name. And uh, that's always a fun, fun little way uh, to stay in touch and to uh, follow and track with other folks. So, yeah. Uh, and that'll all be in the show notes too. Love it. So, hey, Mark, thank you so, so much. Hey, what a, what a joy. Thanks, Carrie. Well, isn't Mark just the kind of guy you want to hang out with? I mean, that's how I've always found Mark. And we've had the opportunity to hang out in the past. And uh, he, is just, he is just a really neat guy that God is using. And man, that ambition, like, okay, I'm going to write a book. You know, he had, what, half a dozen unpublished books before he published his first book. And then he had to self-publish his first book, which he's tried to get off the internet, but it, you know, those things live forever. And I mean, it's just the coolest story. So I hope this really encouraged you because I run into so many people and you know, I've written three books. I've got a new book coming out. Oh, by the way, we got the title to that. It's called Lasting Impact, Lasting Impact. And it's for church leaders. So stay tuned. We'll have more about that. It's Lasting Impact, Seven Powerful Conversations That Can Help Your Church Grow. So anyway, that's my third book. It'll be coming out soon. And I know I talk to a lot of people who are like, I want to write a blog or I want to write a book or it's my life goal to write a book. But but then, you know, just as Mark said, you ask people, so what have you written? And they're like, well, nothing because I'm waiting to write a book. Well, I hope this really encouraged you to start writing. And yeah, writing a blog is a discipline. And um, writing a book is even more discipline. I'm, I'm in the very final phases of editing my new book, Lasting Impact, while I'm recording this podcast. Like we're doing that this week, trying to get it out of the door actually today in the final edit. So, I mean, it's just a lot of work and it's early mornings and late nights and like, uh, you know, 
It's discipline, but it's amazing. And I mean, to think about how many lives God has touched through Mark's writing is really, really cool. So hopefully that was encouraging to you. You can find everything from Mark at markbatterson.com. And uh, like I said at the very beginning, we've got the unglorious video part of this podcast in the show notes at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 32. So, hey, that was really, really neat to hang out today. I really do hope this has helped you and encouraged you and, and maybe even made you a better message writer if you're a preacher like I am or a blogger. Like I said, this can be as simple as like writing better emails that people actually want to read, which I think is, is really cool. Hey, next week, fascinating. Episode 33, Caleb Kaltenbach. And Caleb is a pastor in Southern California. I'm calling the episode Growing Up with Gay Parents. Caleb has an incredible story. He was born to parents who soon divorced to pursue gay relationships. And Caleb grew up and became a Christian, like raised in really a non-Christian house, and then a pastor and his parents freaked out. It is a fascinating interview. If you are struggling with how to respond to the whole uh, same-sex issue in your church, uh, Caleb and I have an honest conversation about it. He's got a powerful story and a very personal story about his mom and dad and how they came out gay and what's happened in that story since then. So you're not going to want to miss that. That's episode 33, and that's coming up next week. The easiest way to make sure you don't miss anything is simply to subscribe. Just go to iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio. Hit the big old free subscribe button. And every single day, not every single day, okay, every single week, magically, this will appear in your inbox. And you don't have to do anything except play it. How cool is that? So, hey, thanks so much for joining today. By the way, you awesome people who keep leaving reviews, you rock. If you can go to iTunes right now, if you're like, hey, how come this is free? Well, it is free and it'll always be free. But one way you can pay it forward or help get the news out is to actually leave a review. So if you just go to iTunes, leave me an honest rating and an honest review. iTunes uses that. When you get more ratings, uh, the podcast gets in front of more people. It's just the way it works. So if you can do that, that'd be awesome. And subscribe. In the meantime, we'll see you next Tuesday. And I really do hope this helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.